This is Judd Winnick, and you are listening to the great, big, beautiful podcast. Wear your seatbelts, pack a lunch. Well, we have one of those new talking machines. Now that is something. It plays music right here in our home. Progress is something we can't take for granted. Progress takes a lot of people wanting it and willing to work for it. You are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show... And, you know, when you, when you have a fifth grader come up to you and t- tell you, like, oh, I'm just like you, and they're not talking about their love of comics or, 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 or drawing funny little stories, they're talking about their mother being a heroin addict, there's a real switch that happens in your head where you go, you know, you know this is a story that I always thought I might want to write or, you know, would want to put out in the world, so, you know, this is a real, really a story that I need to, um, you know, and you just sort of felt that responsibility that I, I had lived this life. And I have this audience, I have this platform, and I have a very unique way in which to share this story in a, a reading format that's very engaging and appealing to young readers. Um, so, so it ed- ended up being you know, a sense of, of duty and a calling for me to put this book out there. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Shiri Sondheimer. Welcome back to another episode of the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us online at thegbbpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube at thegbbpodcast. I'm Jamie Green. You can find me at The Roarbots. Welcome back. And joining me this week once again is Shiri. Hi. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? It's a pleasure to have you here as always. Thank you. I love being here. Oh, we love having you. Uh, you know what? I am not going to do any of this whole like chit chat that we normally do. I'm just going to get right into it because I was, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty excited about this week's conversation. We talked to Jared Krasowska and you may not know the name. You might. It depends on, on what kind of books you've got in your house. Um, if you have, oh, I would say kids who are like five to eight or nine Mm -hmm. you probably have seen at least a few of his books come through the house through from the library from whatnot he uh most notably picked up the jedi academy series from jeffrey brown after jeffrey brown did the first three jarek uh took over that series he's done the lunch lady little series uh, little he's got like 20 books in that series but the the the, the lunch lady series of graphic novels punk rock farm and the sequel were very popular in my house. They're some of the only picture books I ever got on Kindle because we took them with us everywhere when the really? kids were little. Yep. That's awesome. That's awesome. My son, well, I don't know when he discovered the, the Lunch Lady books, but he went through a whole phase where he just had to go through the, all the Lunch Lady books. And my and both of my kids were fans of Jedi Academy yep. from from. The very first book with Jeffrey Brown. And then when it switched over to Jared, they they could tell that there was a difference. Like they could see the difference in the art styles. They but still loved him though. They still loved him. Yep. Like the, the storytelling, the characters, that nothing else really changed in terms of the heart that was at the heart of those books. You yeah, know? I still find Zora with various volumes constantly. Like I walk in the room and she has them. She's flipping through them. Yeah. 
Um, but he's got a lot of books to his to his bibliography. It's not just one or two series. Uh, like Shiri said, he's got picture books. He's got a lot of graphic novels. He's fairly well known for a couple TED Talks that he has given. Um, and one of those TED Talks was an intensely personal story. He told his his personal life story about his mother who had a heroin addiction and how that affected him as a young boy and growing up with his grandparents who had adopted him. And that, as, as certain TED Talks do, that kind of went viral in a way that, that made him more well-known to, to people that might not necessarily know his books per se. But he has recently... I don't want to say he turned that into a book because it's his life story, but he did a graphic novel memoir for Scholastic, the graphics imprint of of Scholastic, and it's called Hey Kiddo. And that book was, it's been shortlisted for almost every award that it could be possibly shortlisted for. It was on the, it was a finalist for the National Book Award, which is incredible for a graphic novel. But that this book, Hey Kiddo, tells his story, tells his his journey from being a young kid till now and how he dealt with the the absence of his father, who was never a part of his life, and the might as well be absence of his mother, who was in and out of his life, in and out of jail, on the wagon, off the wagon. It was a very difficult time and a very difficult relationship that he had with his mother. But his grandparents were the one constant in his life. They had adopted him. Uh, they they gave him every advantage that they could possibly afford to give him. And the, what's fascinating about this book is that it shows how the artist in him sprouted, came out, and became and helped him become who he is today. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment, right? I kind of ta- I yeah. kind of rambled there. <laughs> and perhaps even more importantly, um, I've talked to some of my friends who are teachers, um, and they have told me what a profound impact this book has had on many of their students who are in similar circumstances. And we talked to him a lot about that as well. Yeah. Yeah, he has. And I know he's been on book tour with this. He's been traveling around the country. And I know that he has gotten a lot of very personal responses to this book. People who, um, if they don't see their own direct experiences in what he went through, they see similar, they see themselves reflected in his troubles and in his, his struggles that he had to go through because they had similar struggles, whether or not it was about a parent who had a drug addiction. It might've been something else, but it was a similar struggle. And the book despite what it's about and despite how we're sort of describing it, I would still classify it as hopeful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 it's serious. It covers very serious topics. It doesn't pull a whole lot of punches, um, but it's still ultimately life affirming, I think. Well, it is. And because in the end we know that he did okay. He did okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you and know, we talked that- to him about that too. You know, yeah. and about how he how he feels when he looks back on his life. Yeah, yeah. It's um, the book. It's also interesting in that it's it's running this um, trend of being an a quote unquote all ages book. Mm-hmm. You know, graphic novels are typically thought of as all ages because of the format, but not all of them are obviously. But 
this is marketed and written and intended to be an all ages book, even though it covers such serious, such a serious topic. Well, and now the book also reminds you how much more profound kids are. Yeah. Than, than we give them credit for. Than so many people give them credit for. <laughs> And yeah. how much more emotionally intelligent they are and how much more they understand. Yep. Yep. Um, this book, you know, it's been, like I said, it's been nominated for a bunch of awards. It deserves every nomination, every award, every honor that it's been given. I, I would recommend this one without reservation. This was, um, this is, this is a, an incredibly powerful but positive book. And we don't see yep. many of them too many books when they try to cover serious topics, they, they tend to be a little bit morose or depressing or leave you sort of like, Ugh. <sighs> like now I need, I need to read something else to sort of pick me up. Right. But this, this one, you know, and I don't even want to say by the time you get to the end, because throughout, even though, you know, he's going through struggles and difficult, you know, moments in his life, he still manages to balance with it, balance it with humor and with with happy memories that he has from his childhood. Yeah, and I think and that's really important. I actually, I actually bought. Um, I have a friend who's a, a Seattle public school teacher, and my charitable giving every year is is several times a year for whatever reason I can think of. I buy books for her classroom, and for Hanukkah, I bought this book for her classroom. So that's a very good gift. This one and the Prince <laughs> and the Dressmaker. Or what I bought for for the holidays for her class. Oh, those are so. both great books, yeah. and I mean, this is—it's kind of weird to say this makes a good gift because of the uh, subject matter, but it really does. I it think. does. It does, especially yeah. in an urban public school. Yeah, definitely. All right, we're going to shut up now. Yeah. Uh, let's let's go into our interview with Jared Krasowska. Thank you guys so much for coming back week after week, hitting subscribe, downloading, finding us out, seeking us out, telling people about us. We really do appreciate it. If you like us, if you like this interview, if you like other interviews, please consider leaving us a, a review on iTunes or, or Google Play or wherever it is that you download. We, we are available pretty much everywhere. And all you got to do is just go in, leave us a review. It doesn't, you don't even have to write anything. Just like give us a rating or stars or whatever. That, you know, according to the algorithms, that helps us get in front of more eyeballs and in more ear holes. And that's what we want. So um, thanks again, guys. And here's our chat with Jared Kozowska. See you next week. <laughs> First of all, I guess we should probably begin by saying congratulations. Uh, it seems like every day I see uh, Hey Kiddo is nominated for a new award or gets a glowing new review, and uh, it's just had quite the reception. It has had a, a profoundly huge reception. I mean, almost overwhelmingly positive. It's it's making it on all of the end of the year best lists, and I, I could not be more grateful for the response this book has received from everyone. Yeah, still though, as much um, as many rave reviews and as many awards that you've been nominated for, being a National Book Award finalist must have been a particular thrill. It was, yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is my thirty-eighth book, and uh, it's, it was a, definitely a, a big departure for me in the content and the tone uh, yeah. and the, the age range of the book. So, you know, for 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 many months and years, I thought that it was perhaps, you know taking a big risk to to possibly damage my career from going from writing, you know, very uh, cheerful, campy books for the very young readers to a more somber, serious tale for, for teens and adults. And, uh, no, it's, it's, 
it has i was i could not have been more wrong i'm, I'm happy to say <laughs> well i actually wanted to ask you precisely about that because it is such a significant departure from mo- most of your previous books how much of a sell was it for scholastic i mean how much convincing did they need that that this was something that you could do well you know uh, my agent initially sent the book out to uh, three different publishers uh, and all three publishers wanted it. And uh, in the world of publishing, then what happens, it's called an auction. So the publishers are competing with one another to see who could be the one to uh, publish it. That's and, a position um, every author wants to be in, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, it's never one, that I, again, that I'd ever dreamed that I'd be in. Um, you know, I, I, when I started off, I was submitting my work and getting rejection after rejection. I have a folder that's filled with two years worth of rejection letters from every single publisher out there. Um, so it, it was not something I needed to convince Scholastic to do. They mm-hmm. were on board with it. They, they were not centering it in any way. They weren't wanting to tone it down in any way. They were encouraging to have it be as, as truthful and raw as, as, as the story is. Um, and, you know, and a big departure for, for them as well for their graphics line. So Scholastic Graphics has been publishing graphic novels for a young reader since 2005. Uh, and all of, their, all of their books are for much uh, younger. So early elementary, uh, upper elementary, you know, like the sort of 5 to 11-year-old range. Um, so publishing something for, for teens that adults could also read is is a big departure for graphics. And, and it actually should probably come as no surprise because uh, in 2005, when they were putting out a line of graphic novels for young readers, pretty much every other publisher out there thought they were crazy because there wasn't a market for for um, graphic novels anywhere. Um, and there, ha- there hasn't been a huge market for young adult graphic novels or gra- young adult graphic memoir, uh, but that's that's what Scholastic Graphics does there. They are trailblazers. So I, I could not have asked for a better uh, group to team up with to put this book out into the world. So the publishers did not need any sort of convincing that, that you could deliver. Did you require any convincing that this was something that you could do? I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 40 now and I've been Uh, thinking about putting, I've been thinking about writing this book since I was 21 and I I was 21 when I received the, uh, the, the, that email that said, we would like to publish your book. It's my first picture book. It was Goodnight Monkey Boy with Random House. And I, I got the contract for that in the very end of 99 and the book was published in, in the summer of 2001 and for the, for the longest time, I thought that would, was the happy ending for this, you know, the, for this kid who loved to draw. And his mother was a very talented artist, too, but she uh, had addictions and she, had, she was incarcerated. Um, but every time I, I sat down to write the book, I would, I would hesitate because I would worry about what people who were featured in the book would think. And, um, you know, I realized I couldn't just candy coat things. I couldn't just cherry pick the better aspects of the people I loved. And so this book was lingering for years and years, um, a decade plus. And in 2012, I was a last minute substitution for a TEDx talk at nearby Hampshire College. Uh, and I received a phone call one afternoon saying, you know, we had a cancellation and this was the producer for that TED talk. And they had a cancellation. And would I be interested uh, and, and filling in and delivering a TED talk. And, you know, I, I thought perhaps, you know, that conference was, you know, in a week or in a month, but it was actually that night. Um, so I had about four hours to organize a talk, 
you know, get myself looking presentable for the cameras. I hadn't had a haircut in some some couple months. I was looking kind of shabby. <laughs> uh, so I was able to fit that all in. And um, it was my wife, Gina, who encouraged me to talk about my upbringing and to, to discuss my mother's heroin addiction, which is something I never sp- spoke publicly about. Um, and and so, so that talk went viral, I think in part because I was so open and using the word heroin, which is just a, a, such an ugly, terrible thing that we don't always talk about in specifics, you know, when the term just drugs can, can just seem so broad and general and abstract now. Um, so it went viral. It, it's now been viewed over a million times in the various spots it lives on the internet. And at every single school I would visit, you know, as a, a author of books for young people, I, I visit several schools a year and I go all across the country. And you know, it wouldn't matter if I was at a private school or if I was at a public school or you know, in a setting that was rural or suburban or urban, every neighborhood, I, I would meet uh, kids who were in similar circumstances. And I would I would hear from the adults that they had students at this school that were had a very similar set of circumstances, be it there was an incarcerated parent or there was a, there was a child who had whose parent had an addiction or they were being raised by a grandparent or an aunt. And, you know, when you, when you have a fifth grader come up to you and t- tell you, like, oh, I'm just like you, and they're not talking about their love of comics or, 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 or drawing funny little stories, they're talking about their mother being a heroin addict, there's a real switch that happens in your head where you go, you know, you know, this is a story that I always thought I might want to write or, you know, would want to put out in the world. So, you know, this is a real, really a story that I need to mm-hmm. um, you know, and you just sort of felt that responsibility that I, I had lived this life and I have this audience, I have this platform, and I have a very unique way in which to share this story in a, a reading format that's very engaging and appealing to young readers. Um, so, so it en- ended up being, you know, a sense of, of duty and a calling for me to put this book out there. Yeah. So some people, when they would ever form their retrospective of their life takes um look back and wish things had been different and some people examine what was and while they're able to acknowledge that things were difficult um also know that the end result and you know, your end result is pretty cool. Um, (laughs) that, you know, that was informed by what happened, you know, which, which camp do you think you're in? No, I mean, I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, well, one, one, on one hand, it's, um, it's really a moot point. Like you can't go back and change things. So, So why bother, you know, getting anxious or obsessed with something that you can't control or change? Um, you know, every piece of my childhood and life has brought me to this point. You know, um, part of my motivation and drive to, you know, get published at such a young age, too, was that I, I saw that talent in my mother that I also had, and, and it was squandered. You know, she, she wasn't able to do anything with those gifts for herself. Um, but what she did with those gifts is she would send me cartoons that she would draw while she was incarcerated in prison, and that gave me all the motivation I needed to, you know, stay away from narcotics and try to work hard in school as best I could and focus on studying on what I love doing and then working hard enough to get my, my stuff published. 
So the the way that's, so that's where I am now. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't. I'm sorry. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't change a thing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say the the way that you've structured the book uh, and the way that you tell the story is interesting because what you do is you know you tell your story, but you you take the point of view of you at whatever age you happen to be at the time. So if you were six or seven, the events that are happening around you are kind of shrouded in mystery. So as a reader, you know, we feel like we're in your position, like you weren't fully aware of what was happening, like what was wrong with your mother. So we are kind of left with like wondering too. What led to that approach to not put in sort of this omnipotent narrator to sort of comment on what was happening around you? Well, you know, I'm always on the side of my readers, you know, regardless mm-hmm. of what book I'm writing. Was if it's a book about a kid who doesn't want a nap, or if it's a, a lunch lady who fights crime, you know, my my readers are who I'm writing for. So that could be the toddler, it could be that quirky fourth grader, and and for this book, this this prime, you know, while while adults certainly can get into the story and enjoy it, the, you know, the primary audience really is is teenagers, and and, and for that teenager, um, I wanted to keep it with that that voice so the book opens the prologue opens with my grandfather teaching me at 16 years old how to drive and we're in a cemetery and Mm -hmm. so throughout the book the 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 narration panels are all that that 16 year old kid who's who's soon to be 17 um but i i didn't give that 17 year old narrator any knowledge of life beyond what would happen after after that you know, mm-hmm. So as the adult version of me, which is me, you know, I, I did not give a lot of information to that character that I learned later in life. Um, and so so we, we open with the prologue to set who who this person is telling you the story. But then we, you know, instead of going back to when I was a kid, we go back to when my my grandparents met, my maternal grandparents, the ones who raised me. Because I realized to tell my story, I need to tell my mother's story. And to tell my mother's story, I need to tell a little bit about her parents' story. Just also to show that, you know, these these addictions and these problems, like, they're not necessarily created in a vacuum. And, you know, when my mother had addictions to drugs, uh, my grandparents certainly had their demons where they were fighting with with alcohol, uh, although they were, you know, never professed that or labeled that in their lifetimes. But clearly they were. Um, and, And so, you know, relying on stories my grandparents always told me growing up and stories my mother told me when I was growing up. Um. But also to give the reader that that feel and that sense of wondering just what is happening, and and that's also um, you know as 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 an author, you know you, you learned how you know what cards are you placing down and in what order are you placing down in, in order to make the most engaging story. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I, you know, I, I it was revealed to me in fourth grade the truth about my mother that she was incarcerated, that she was in jail, um, so I couldn't give that knowledge to the Jarrett character when that Jarrett character was in preschool right because he was confused he didn't know what was happening and you know and that's also what's happening to a lot of young people today you know they might not be given all the facts um, because we don't always think that kids can handle them although they can and um, so that's that's a long-winded answer to your question yeah did you look at other books to see how they handled the more weighty issues um for young readers or did you just purely do this your way no i mean i did this my way i mean i you know i'm an avid reader of books for young people for both um 
reading to my children and then also of my own interests and supporting my colleagues. Um, but I, I, I was I made a conscious effort to not reread, uh, you know, other graphic memoirs or, or other stories that were dealing with heady topics. Um, this really, you know, I really wanted to create the story that this needed to be. Um, and, you know, I had a, a, a teacher in college who would always warn us against trying to jump on fads. You know, as an artist, he would say, you know, there's no sense in trying to jump on a fad because by the time you're able to get your project up and running, you know, whatever was popular in, or successful, that it's time will have passed. Right. Just do what you do. Uh, and then you'll find a way to have an audience for that when that project comes out. And so, so I, that's 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 the mantra I've always had in in creating my works. I love that you have included so much. I guess authentic material is the best way to say it. You know, actual drawings that you made when you were a kid, the yearbook covers, the letters from your mother. How much of the design of the book was was all yours? And did you work with? a designer at Scholastic at all or, or a freelance designer, or was it all just you? No, uh, Phil Falco is my incredibly talented art director and designer for this. So I, I, I did have the idea uh, the chapter openers would open with these artifacts. I mean, my initial conceit for the whole thing was since I have all of that artwork and so much of this book would be about the journey of a young artist, uh, whenever you saw the Jarrett character draw, you would see the actual artwork that I made at that mm -hmm. age. It would be, it would be designed into the actual illustrations. And as I as I was digging deeper and deeper, I found some other artifacts, like my grandparents' uh, wedding invitation or the coaster at the bar where my birth parents met. Um, and all of this, these pieces were were adding up, and you know, some really interesting things. Um, and so I I shared them with with Phil, and we talked about the idea of somehow including these in the chapter openers. Uh, and then I also had this scanned wallpaper, you know, this, I had a, I have a roll of unused wallpaper from my childhood kitchen mm. and I photoshopped it, you know, I, I scanned it in, printed it out. I painted on it. I manipulated it for, for the cover, for the background of the cover. And then Phil had the insight to, to use that as a motif uh, on the chapter openers, yeah. and then if you look closely in the in the scenes that take place in the family kitchen, you know I, I'm using that wallpaper as part of the artwork to to show that they're that that wallpaper is in the kitchen, um, because you know the you, the kitchen really is it's the heart and the center of a family's home. It's sure. interesting. There's something very visceral about wallpaper, and I don't know if it's because we don't use it as much anymore. Um, when my grandfather died and my uncle started redoing the house, he had this. Um, he had this wallpaper that had this velour design on it, this blue velour design. And I had my mother cut a piece of it and give it to me. So I have a piece of the wallpaper from so my grandfather's. Yeah. Yeah. It was up the up the stairs to the second floor and back down the hallway. And I have a piece of it. <laughs> well, and then also it also places, uh, uh, you know, you in a, a certain time, mm -hmm. a time period. Yeah. You know, I mean, anyone who sees like that very much feels like a, a grandparent's home in the 70s and 80s, that, that pineapple wallpaper. And I'm sure <laughs> you feel the same way. And what's interesting, since my grandparents were both smokers, you know, um, we, we took off a, a mirror off one of the walls and it was just pristine white. <laughs> the, rest, the rest of the wallpaper was nicotine yellow. And it's actually interesting. <laughs> this wallpaper is even earlier because um, my grandmother died 
when I was young, when I was five, and she was a smoker. So the white part is kind of yellow, but the wallpaper is even, I think, from the 60s, and he never changed it after she died. He never oh, redid wow. that wallpaper. Wow. So, yeah. That's yeah. great. I'm glad you have Thank that. Thank you. It's uh, interesting uh, that you uh, kept uh, wallpaper, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, guess, I guess I should say I also have wallpaper from my really? childhood home. <laughs> I do. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was we a... They could be... Yeah, there could be some kind of like TLC show about like the weirdos who keep the wallpaper from the childhood homes. I think we're ground zero right here. (laughs) Yeah, mine was a it was yellow and it had like a fuzzy design on it. So when 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 they eventually took it down, I said I need to have a piece of that. So I we should start a museum like Albany, New York, nineteen (laughs) sixty (laughs) four. What I love about you including all of those artifacts though is that for a young reader especially they not only are welcomed into your story and they in the, you know they they can see how you progressed in through your life but they could see how you developed as an artist you know you've included yeah. Yeah. crayon crayon scribbles to slightly more sophisticated drawings to mimicry of superheroes to you know when you got into high school and college you started to get experimental and then you know you, you end up with much more professional art and then there's obviously the art of the actual story we're reading which is where you are now <laughs> well and it's very yeah. intimate it's it's very it's intimate very, for readers yeah I, i'm I, glad i'm glad and you know what i think also i my hope was that it would further hit home that this was a real story and these are real people yeah have you heard i mean you said you've been hearing from a lot of kids and going to schools have you heard from kids who have connected to that seeing the art develop and and seeing like because i think a lot of kids they'll read graphic novels or they'll they'll look at an illustration and they think that these artists like you are just spring fully formed as a perfect artist and they don't quite realize that the you know the stick figures and the scribbles that they're making now are where everybody starts and have have they noticed that in the book that you started at the same place that they're starting. You know, I'm sure I'm sure I'll hear more of that in the coming months. Um, it, uh, those are all images that I've shared in my school visit talks for the yeah. past, you know, 15 years or so. So a, a, a lot of that feedback I've been getting over the years of, of of young people being able to identify with a certain stage of my artistic life mm-hmm. and be able to project themselves onto onto that, you know. Um, and the past couple months have just actually no, the book is almost two months out there now it's almost been out for two months and so i'm just finishing up my book tour for it and 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 more so i'm hearing from people who see themselves in the story because they have addiction in their homes or had addiction in their homes because someone has has overdosed and are now deceased um those those are sort of been uh the 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 bigger connections people have made with the book yeah and that develops kids seeing that development of artists is really important i don't there was a i don't know how much you're on twitter but there was a Twitter thread recently of weird stuff that people got in trouble for in school. And um, <laughs> Mitch Jarrods, who um, is the current artist, well, Mr. Miracle just ended, but he's a, a, you know, he's a pretty well-known comics artist at this point, said in, in eighth grade, his parents got called into school and he got in trouble because he was drawing Batman too much and was told <laughs> that that would never get him anywhere in life. <laughs> so I think yeah, uh, that's so. Funny. I think yeah, people no. see you know kids especially. Um, I have a friend who's a middle school teacher in public school in Seattle, and kids seeing this development and and seeing 
seeing you know your artistic development and hearing stories like that you know this this relatively well-known at this point comic artist got in trouble for drawing batman too much it's so important to them even if they're not able to to verbalize it at this stage they internalize it well and then you look at um dave pilkey who's the creator of captain underpants Mm -hmm. he invented captain underpants the second or third grade when he was kicked out of the classroom for drawing too much yeah and he started drawing captain underpants in you know the hallway of his school for when he was getting in trouble for drawing I just had Dave on and we talked exactly about that, about how, you know, he, oh, that's th- great. this character has lived with him since the second grade and he got in trouble for it his entire life. And now it's like he's getting the last laugh because it's this worldwide phenomenon. <laughs> yes, he is getting the last laugh. for sure. <laughs> um, your book makes it clear that you got a lot of support from your grandparents. They really supported you as an artist. They really wanted you to, to learn and to develop and they sent you to the classes. But still, I mean, this type of book, this type of book that takes a serious look at um, weighty topics is still a relatively new thing. How, if, if you could guess or surmise, how might your life, your childhood have been different if books like this, books like Hey Kiddo, had existed when you were younger? Well, you know, for for me as being being a kid, I thought I was the only one. I thought I was the only kid in America being raised by their grandparents. Mm-hmm. I thought I was the only kid at my school who had these troubles at home. Um, you know, and and over the years, of course, I learned that other classmates also had an incarcerated parent, you know, or also were were, were dealing with some, you know, even tougher issues at home. Um, and now as, as I've traveled the country, I've learned that I'm so far from alone because not only will I hear from kids, but I'll hear from adults who also were, were raised by a grandparent or uh, had an incarcerated parent or there was addiction. And, 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 these, and it's everyone from, you know, uh, executives at big companies who express this to me or people who are working the lunch lines at school. Like every it's, it's, it's touched and affected every single one of us in some way. You know, we're all just a couple degrees away from this. Um, so I certainly, I would have, I definitely would have felt less alone. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, it seems that we finally crossed some bridge that we didn't even know we needed to cross where it's okay for quote unquote, all ages, graphic novels to really honestly cover topics like this. Um, I mean, we, obviously your book has gotten rave reviews and, and been nominated for all the awards, you know, but then there's books like this one summer, which won the Caldecott honor. And there's plenty of other books that use this medium to tell serious stories. Do you think that, you know, this is the struggle over it it has, has the graphic novel as a medium finally been accepted, you know, and, and become a mainstream accepted format to tell stories like this? No, I mean, we certainly still have a lot of work to do. I mean, I love this. There was, was this one last summer. Was that the title? This one summer. one summer. This this one summer. I love that book. And, mm-hmm. and that was a breakthrough for that to win a Caldecott honor because that Absolutely. book is for, for older readers. And it got a lot of flack for having some topics mm-hmm. in it that weren't for 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 younger younger readers. But you know what? The Caldecott can be for all of the readers, not just mm-hmm. the very youngest. Um, but, you know, aside from the flack that got for, for the content, uh, the graphic novels is a format. You you could have a conversation with any librarian, be it a school librarian or a public librarian in this country, and they will tell you about a grown up, be it uh, a parent or guardian or a classroom teacher, who would say to them, "Don't don't let my kids check out any more comics, only real books, oh, because God, they're yeah. fed up that their kid is checking out all of the Garfield treasuries." 
are, you know, or be it all of the lunch lady books. And that's, that's all they're reading. And it's very short sighted. And, um, you know, for, so, so I would say about, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I felt like that resistance was, was more from the sort of older generation of teachers that had, had been around for a while. And it just did not look like the kind of reading they were used to teaching with. Uh, but then those teachers also saw that this was getting their kids to read. So now I think that that flag does not come from a more seasoned teacher because they, they have seen firsthand how these, these, this format can help young people read. What I see it more than often than not is is the newer teachers that are, are, are it doesn't look like maybe like the kind of reading they were taught in, in college mm-hmm. or a parent who's just really stressed out about their kid getting perfect marks on that state test. Um, and th- it's well-intentioned because they, you know, they want the best for their kids and, and we all want the best for their kids. But, you know, when it comes to reading for, for pleasure... The, the best thing to do is just let that kid read. Yep. And, you know, just because it's a graphic novel, you know, doesn't mean it's going to be uh, a lighthearted story Was you could have Hey Kiddo or you could have the Baby Mouse books, which are which are which are very fun and lighthearted mm-hmm. and, you know, humorous. Um, and, 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 and just because we're telling stories with pictures doesn't mean we're shying away from vocabulary. So you, your vocabulary can expand just as much with a graphic novel as, as it could with a prose novel. Um, and on another layer, too, we live in a society where we're leaning very heavily on, on visual literacy. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would suggest anyone take out their smartphones. And if you're looking for an app, you're probably looking for that. Uh, that that icon. You're not looking to read the name of that written on the app. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're driving, all of these street signs are visual icons that are helping you get around safely. Um, so that 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 would be my two, if not four cents on that. <laughs> yeah, I was recently. So, so no, so there's. So, I'm sorry, but yeah, no, but no, but to, but just because these books, it's great that these books are winning awards or nominated for awards, um, because that it's it's hard to refute that when we're we're pointing to what graphic novels can do. My friend I mentioned, who's a teacher in Seattle, her her graphic novels and um, trade paperbacks disappear from her classroom library, most of which she buys herself or I buy for her, um, <laughs> disappear at an alarming rate and. <laughs> for much more much more often well, than um the prose novels do yeah i would say if you're if you're if your classroom library books aren't getting stolen maybe you're not having getting right? the right books because <laughs> that's, that's that's a mark that you're choosing the right books if they are not making it back to your collection she says, for sure she yeah. says she always waits though a couple weeks before school starts again in the fall before she rebuys because they um they they sometimes creep back in um after the summer ah <laughs> uh, yes and then you get lost kids turn lost it could be sloppy I, I i was recently in uh just the public library here and i overheard a mother walk in with her kids and the kids were probably you know fourth fifth grade and she's uh, paraphrasing only slightly but what she said was you know you can get three books um get, go get any three books but i don't want to see any graphic novels you know, and it just it broke my heart to hear that because I was thinking you're doing this wrong. Like reading is reading. Like why are you going to stifle what they want to those read? Are th- those are things you know, I've never said to my children. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I I was in a similar situation. I was at a bookstore, just quietly signing some stock of books, and I overheard this this parent uh, with her kid, and and the kid wanted the latest Wimpy Kid book, mm-hmm. and the parent was insisting that they read uh, a, a wrinkle in time and and 
and so I, but I spoke up and I said, you know, there's a graphic novelization. I was of just going to ask you that. Give me halfway and get Hope Larson's. And yeah. I said that and, and unfortunately the bookstore didn't have it in stock, but I'm hoping that they did later find it. They did. I was signing copies of my Jedi Academy books and they did walk away with one of those. So I'm hoping nice. uh, that helps break down that parent to just, you know, let the kid read. We have read, yeah. we read my kids, your Jedi Academy books, and we read my kids, The Prince and the Dressmaker recently. Oh, I love that book too. That's great. Yeah. But the Wimpy Kids, I don't understand any backlash against that because it's they have pictures in it, but they're not graphic novels. My son is in second grade and he has read all 13 of them. Like that I think those books made him How a can reader. You complain about my my son is 9 and he's he reads fine, but for whatever we have read to him basically every day of his life. For whatever reason, probably because he's a little bit lazy and reading is harder, a little more challenging for him than math and science. He is a little more reluctant to sit and, you know, read a completely prose novel. So he picks up his graphic novels or his books with pictures. Why would I discourage mm-hmm. that? You know, yeah. like that, that seems really dumb. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. be judgy there and call it dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but so if... I'm sure the book is still relatively new. Hey, kiddo. Um, But I'm sure it's going to make its way into classrooms eventually. If teachers were to use the book, to teach the book, what specific things would you want the teachers to focus on? I know it would depend on what grade and the age of the kids, but what sort of information do you want them to have to support the book or to how to, how to, how to approach kids with this, with this topic in your, in your book? Well, I mean, I hope it leads to meaningful conversations about life and about family and about drug use. I, uh, you know, I have a friend whose who's, who's son is uh, 10 years old, and she did read it alongside with him. And what she said to me was really interesting is it opened up a dialogue between she and the son, and it empowered her son in such a way because the son realized that for the first time he was being looked at as a human being versus just a kid. You know, he was being looked at someone who could, who could take in this information um, you know the, the book is marked as for ages 12 and up and I've heard a few grumblings of, of people saying well I would I would say maybe 14 and up no, given the content no. and it's like well that's that's certainly your choice and what to do with your children but but just know this that my mother started using drugs when she was 13 years old mm. um, and and so this as much as this can act as a, a hopeful tale for kids who are going through this I hope it could also act as a cautionary tale to help kids avoid drug use. Mm. My friends who are teachers were also talking about it. She, she and I were talking about it because I, I bought it for her classroom. Um, <laughs> that was my Hanukkah gift to her classroom. Um, she was talking about it. She said they talk a lot about, how did you phrase it, windows and mirrors. mirrors. Yes. And how for a lot of her kids, it was a window to understand their classmates. But for a couple of her kids, especially um, a couple of her kids who are in the foster system, it was a mirror. And how it was helpful to both groups of kids in different ways and how that mm. was really an amazing tool for her to teach both to help the kids who found it as a mirror to not feel as lonely, but to teach empathy to the kids who saw it as a window. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing I, I hope young readers get out of it is just empathy. I mean, the, I mean, even certainly writing it helped me have more empathy for, for what my mother went through. Um, and, you know, sometimes if we see somebody on the street and they seem strung out, we, we might be just so quick just to label them a junkie and move on. But, you know, that's that's somebody's kid. 
perhaps at somebody's sibling, perhaps at somebody's parent. Um, and it, it's, it's something led them to that point. Um, and, you know, I think that we, we just need to, we need to approach people with compassion and love as much as we can in this, in this country. Well, I'd say, especially in yeah. the time we're living in, it's another human being. It's another human being. Of That's just else. it. It's a, it's a person. It's a human being. We, we should all treat each other with love and compassion. This has been the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us online at thegbbpodcast.com and on Twitter and Facebook at thegbbpodcast. Thanks again for subscribing and listening. We really do appreciate it. And until next week, I am Jamie Green, and you can find me at The Roarbots. Take care.